everyone. My name is Esther Robin. I'm the Vice President of the Medical Ethics Society, and we will now be hearing from Professor Yonatan Halevi again on the topic of building a modern hospital according to Halakha. Without further ado. Good afternoon. So I don't know if uh, everybody heard me this morning. I would just repeat in the way of introduction few words about the uh, Sharai Sadek Medical Center and its history and then we'll discuss for uh, about uh, 40 or 45 minutes the implication of the fact that Sharai Sadek is a hospital that is run according to Halakha. One uh, of few in the world but definitely the largest and the most complex of them. Maimonidas in uh, Brooklyn, in Borpark, that is run according to the Halakha, Lanyado and Maenea Yeshua in Israel. But um, there is no hospital in the world that has the capacity of Sharet Sedek with the complex procedures that we do that is run according to the Jewish law according to Halakha. So just repeat very shortly the history of Sharet Sedek. This hospital was founded by German and Dutch Jews, disciples of Roshim Shon Raphael Hirsch, who convened in Frankfurt in 1873 and decided that Jerusalem of that time, with a Muslim majority, needed a modern hospital outside the walls of the old city. Up until then, there were two infirmaries within the old city, not really hospitals, Bikur Cholim and Misgav Ladakh. So this was the first modern hospital in the city of Jerusalem. There were also hospitals that were maintained by the Christian church, by the missionaries, and uh, one of the purpose of the founders was really that no Jewish patient would need to go to a non-Jewish hospital. They, uh, it took them 29 years to fundraise and build our facility on Jaffa Road, which is now housed by the Israeli Broadcast Authority. We uh, had the hospital there. It's one of the most beautiful buildings in Jerusalem. I guess all of you or most of you know the building in the center of Jaffa Road. Today the light train in Jerusalem goes through and stops near the old hospital. The building is very nicely preserved, but it was small for us, and my predecessor, Professor David Mayer of blessed memory, planned in the 70s the new facility in Bayit Vagan, and he moved the hospital there the end of 1978, beginning of 1979. So if we go back to history, um, that was the decision, that the hospital will be run according to Halakha. It was not a big problem at that time, but the developments in medicine that occurred during the 20th century, and I remind you we opened our gates in 1902, the developments that occurred that happened in medicine in the 110 years that elapsed since that time pose every physician and medical professional in the world, not necessarily in Israel, with ethical dilemmas of the highest order. Some of them were mentioned today in the morning sessions. Now, so there is a decision of a founding board that a hospital will be run according to Halakha. I want to remind, of you, to remind you, especially those of you who are in the medical field, that a hospital is not a yeshiva. What does it mean to run a hospital according to halakha. 
How do you miss? I mean, the human body is the human body. One of the nice things in our profession, in medicine, and I know that there are ophthalmologists in the audience, so you definitely know it, because from this country and from my country, ophthalmologists go to African countries to operate mainly on patients with cataracts. So you know, and we know, that the human body is the same human body. There are diseases that are prevalent in certain regions of the world, that are not prevalent in other regions. Although even with this, with the global village today, there is a big uh, mixture. We see many patients with tropical diseases in Sharet Tzedek now, from among the soldiers who graduated the Israeli army and decided to take a month to a year trip to exotic places like India. It's a topic for another lecture. Why does the average graduate of the Israeli army, mainly from combat units, find India as his target. But unfortunately, sometimes he or she come back with tropical diseases, whether it's aria or danger fever or uh, bilharziasis or all kinds uh, of other diseases. So the human body is the same human body, and it's it's our commitment to uh, heal the sick, to make a proper diagnosis, and to give the proper therapy, the proper treatment. What does this have to do with running a hospital according to Halakha? If you run a school, so in a religious school in Israel, in Chinuch Mamlachti Dati, the difference between Chinuch Mamlachti Dati and Chinuch Klali, a regular school in Israel, and I'm a graduate of the Chinuch Mamlachti Dati, that you daven every morning and you daven mincha, you don't do it in a non-dati school, you learn more Jewish studies, but what's it with a hospital? I mean, a hospital has to treat the ill, to treat the sick. What's the connection to halacha? So usually in this kind of lectures, and really people are interested to know, because especially the secular population in Israel they really don't understand it. They don't understand the issues that I just raised with you. Medicine is medicine. What does it mean? Do the rabbis run the hospital? Do you get orders from rabbis? I'm frequently asked as to the running, the day-to-day running of the hospital. So I would like to take up with you three issues that, in my view, represent the fact and the difference between a hospital that is run according to Halakha and a hospital that is kosher, all hospitals in Israel are kosher, and uh, is not run according to Halakha. Now you know that Jerusalem is a multicultural city. I don't want to say multi-ethnic. 34% of the people in Jerusalem today are Arabs, and you see their presence in the hospital, but there are no halachic implications on their presence. That's why I would not mention the multi-ethnicity of the city that poses other kinds of problems that have nothing to do with halakha. About 25% of the patients in Shari Tzedek are uh, Arabs. They are not represented by the percentage in the population, 34%. Actually, they had to be represented more than 24%, 34% because the health level of the Arab population is much lower than to the Jew, of the Jewish population. Our sages said, Ani chashuv kemet, the poor man is considered dead. The only way to interpret this 
seemingly cruel sentence is not that the poor man is considered dead literally but that there is a great link between the socio-economic status and the state of health and we know it from all over the world that the poorer are sicker their population is poorer and it is sicker they are not represented in Hadassah and in Sharetzedet per the segment of the population maybe only in Hadassah Mount Scopus because there are community hospitals in the east part of Jerusalem the largest one is Mukassid Hospital that delivers 5,000 babies a year and it does open heart surgery so I will relate to the multiculturality of the Jewish population in Jerusalem from the ultra-Orthodox to the modern Orthodox to those who define themselves as Masorti, as traditional to the secular population and the question is how do you run a hospital according to Halakha where everybody should feel at home because coercion, kfiadati is one issue that should not be part of running a hospital according to Halakha and I think that this is halakhically based that we will not coerce anybody to do things that he does not believe in so I would say that there are three main issues that characterize Shari Tzedek as a hospital that is run according to Halakha the first is very technical the second is very spiritual and the third is very practical and maybe the most important in my eyes the first technical one is the Heksher all the management of the hospital served in the army most of us as officers in these or other capacities we are graduates of Bnei Akiva as a youth movement we are graduates of the Chinuch Mamlachti Dati in Israel most of us keep the Heksher in our home the Rabbanut of Israel most of us even not Mehadre the Heksher of the Rabbanut if you grew up in Israel as a national religious Zionist you have to have trust in the chief rabbinot of Israel and that's what we eat at our homes the technical dilemma was what should be the Heksher at Shari Tzedek should at least after the declaration of status of Israel should we insist on it that the rabbinot will have their Heksher or maybe and as I said it's a technical issue in order for everybody to be able to eat in the hospital not uh, to demand the services of chesed organizations and not to bring food for home he will give a better hechsher than Rabbanu that will be acceptable to a larger segment of the ultra-orthodox community so the hechsher is badats this is the first technical aspect I will not expand on that because really it does not have a meaning although from time to time people will say why do you run it with a bagat sechsher it's much more expensive by the way we spend around 3 to 4 million shekels a year around 1 million dollars just for the superior hechsher but I believe that there is such high density of population who would not eat Rabbanut Heksher um, but only Badats that I think we owe it to them and this already shows you that even in this technical aspect we are not imposing we do mm. not impose our principles we do not do Davka I would like Sharet Tzedek to have a Rabbanut Heksher 
it was Badatz before I came and I didn't even dream to change it. But as I said, this is a very technical aspect. The second aspect, which I said is very spiritual, is Shabbat issues. So a hospital on the Shabbat. A simplistic approach to running a hospital on Shabbat would say that everything that is done in the hospital is pikuach nefesh, or at least safek pikuach nefesh. A remote possibility for pikuach nefesh. So, actually you are committed to desecrate the Shabbat for pikuach nefesh or safek pikuach nefesh. And the simplistic approach really preaches for that, and that's the approach of all hospitals in Israel, except the ones that I mentioned. Because one would maintain that a patient is in the hospital during Shabbat because he's in danger. And if he's not in overt danger, there is some danger to his life. So anything around him, definitely the medical issues, should be done regularly on Shabbat. But this is a simplistic approach. Those of you who spend Shabbat in hospital, not as patients, but as staff, and who see hospitals in Shabbat, there are many melachot that have nothing to do with Pikuach Nefesh. There are even patients, not many, but few patients, that are over Shabbat in the hospital when they are in the final stages from recuperation, from surgery, Sometimes they come from far away, they will admit themselves for elective surgery on a Friday afternoon. It happens, although not very prevalent. So these patients, definitely physicians who do the work or nurses who treat them, are not committed to be Mechalele Shabbat. So the approach of the poskim of Shari Tzedek to the issue of Shabbat, and may I say that our current posak is Rabbi Osher Weiss, Shibadele Chaim Arukim. But in the past, we had other poskim. We had Rabbi Kolitz, Rabbi Neuwirth of Blessed Memory. When I came to Sharet Sedek 25 years ago, it was Baal Aminchat Yitzchak, Rabbi Yitzchak Weiss, who was the chief ruler of the Eda Haredit in Jerusalem. We moved to the chief rabbinate of Jerusalem. Rabbi Kolitz was the chief rabbi of Jerusalem. And uh, Rabbi Neuwirth, Rabbi Neuwirth, Zichrono Libracha, Zichr Tzadik Libracha, Beinyanei Shabbat, you all know his book, Shmirat Shabbat Ki Ilchata. So on the Shabbat issues, and I will tell you a few stories that I went through with him, he was definitely the Posek. And after they uh, passed away, Reb Osher Weiss, who is of an American origin, and in recent years won a very um, popular uh, Posek in uh, the city of Jerusalem, who refuses to be a chief rabbi and really wants to teach and to rule, to be a posseg. He, um, I work with him not on a daily basis, but at least once a week we speak, and I will get to it when I get to the third aspect. So, Shabbat for me, as someone who grew up in Israel, believing that you can maintain a country and maintain an army, and maintain power on the Shabbat without Chilul Shabbat, I've never, I was never aware of the term Shabbos Goy. Shabbos Goy for me is a Galus term. Didn't exist in my childhood, didn't exist for me until I came to Shari Tzedek 25 years ago, and I found out 
that for all these tasks that are not pikuach nefesh or safek pikuach nefesh there are 65 what we call katvanei Shabbat the writers of Shabbat they are all nochrim, non-Jews of course they report for duty 10 minutes before candle lighting and they leave the duty 10 minutes after Avdola and there are one or two of them depends on the size of the department and any member of the staff of Shari Tzedek that feels that he has to do a melacha b'shabbat that is not pikuach nefesh or safek pikuach nefesh from technical issues like warming up the food, warming the food to writing a follow-up note, a non-urgent follow-up note on a patient he would dictate it to the Katvan Shabbat to be very frank with you I found it very difficult when I came I saw that this is really against my personal principles if the IDF got an Hechsher from Rav Goren to be run on Shabbat and there are provisions there that every Chayal Dati every Dati soldier can serve without hesitance how come in hospital where Pikuach Nefesh is much more prevalent on a daily basis or on Shabbat by Shabbat basis than in the army the army in peacetime actually do not do things that are overt Pikuach Nefesh in most of its basis those who are not along the borders so how come we cannot do it in the hospital but I am an obedient soldier and I am Mechuyav I am committed to keep the Psika of Shari Tzedek and for 25 years on the one hand I was unable to change this Psika Rabbis and rulers are afraid of change and we'll talk in a minute how can it be changed and on the other hand I realized that when this operation of Katvanei Shabbat of Shabbos Goim who serve in every department is run appropriately there is no danger to patients I'm a liver specialist I'm called sometime they ran until recently one of the internal medicine departments at Shari Tzedek I'm called in not frequently but I'm called in on Shabbat I will not discuss the issue of how you get to the hospital, how you come back, because there there is preference for every physician and nurses to decide. We do have transportation on the Sabbath with Nochrim, back and forth from home. The personnel that want to use them, use them. The personnel that don't want to use them, do not use them. I'm talking about what's happening within the doors, the walls of the hospital, within the walls of the hospital, for a non-pikuach nefesh Chilul Shabbat we use Katvanei Shabbat so although I have a principal issue with it I must say that I have not encountered in 25 years an issue when life of a patient were in danger or where a damage was caused to a patient because sometimes the writing the putting in the plug for the EKG machine or for the monitor is done by a non-professional who by the way had a short course most of them are students in the Hebrew University so these are educated people uh, we select them very carefully we try and we prefer Druze and Bedouins who served in the army but not always we can fill the needs with those who served in the army um, so I have not encountered any damage, I must, uh, I must admit that. 
but there are borderline issues and I wanted to tell you about Rabbi Novi to Milanu Gadol in Hilchot Shabbat from Rabbi Novi take the automatic infusion pump automatic infusion pump IVAC probably you are aware of it it's now many years in a hospital that you don't you use an automatic infusion pump to give drips of medications to a patient calibration of the machine is extremely important one of the biggest mistakes in daily medical practice in hospitals stem from malcalibration or malcalculation of the dosage that has to be given to the patient infused to the patient to these automatic infusion machines so again our nurses they are in charge of calibrating the machine the physician will calculate the dosage and will write the prescription and the order but the nurse is in charge of operating the machine preparing the bag of medication after getting the material from the pharmacy and infusing it to the patient it's not a physician's role it's a nurse role and the question is asked could you use the Katvan Shabbat the Shabbos Goy and tell him press this button press this button in order to calibrate the machine when I came to Shari Tzedek I found nurses and you have to understand each one of our nurses has their own Mara Deatra if she is Shomer Shabbat not all our staff Shomrei Shabbat and maybe I will allude to it in a minute but she has her own Mara Deatra she can ask him but in the hospital she has to act according to the directions of the director of the hospital if I think and my colleagues in the management think that calibrating through a shaliach poses a danger to a patient so we will not allow it and when I came to Shari Tzedek there were nurses who found it very difficult to accept this psika and they were using Katvanei Shabbat and Rabbi Neuvert Zichronoli Bracha went with me through the hospital I took him to the most stubborn nurses that saw it as Chilul Shabbat calibrating the automatic infusion pump he learned from the nurses not only from me what is the impact of accurate calibration on the chance for a mistake in dosages given to the patient and he gave an immediate psika that she has to do it on her own and not to Katan Shabbat so you could see that on the one hand we are sinning here to the principle of modern religious Zionism that in the state of Israel you shouldn't, that, you shouldn't use Shabbos going but this is not Mishamayim this is not Midoraita it's only our feelings as long as an elaborate computer system based on the grammar principle will not replace the Shabbos going we will go on using them but as I said I looked at it very closely and not only did we not lose a patient but uh, I'm unaware of any damage to patients that was caused because of the judicious use of Katvanei Shabbat of the Shabbos Goim in Sharetzede otherwise if you visit the hospital on Shabbat you will find a completely different atmosphere with which I take great pride the hospital is quiet before the cellular era all the pay phones on the floors not at the entrance of the hospital outside the campus on the floors were disconnected before candle lighting 
and were reconnected after Avdala. And one of the things that I faced when I came 25 years ago was a she'ilta in the Knesset. There was a member of Knesset named Yair Taban. He was a Mapam party member. Mapam is an extreme left, I don't want to say anti-religious, but Tinokochi Nishbu. And he said, how come? That was one of the first requests that I got from the Minister of Health in the Knesset you pose a question to the minister in charge of the proper service. So the minister of health, who was also a MAPAM member at the time, or Avoda member, Shoshana Arbeli Al-Moslino, was asked at the Knesset by this Yair Tzaban, how come pay phones on the floors are disconnected? What happens with patients who want to inform and to call their family? To call their family. By the way, it's long irrelevant now because patients have cellular phones and here you can see how careful we are not to impose and not to coerce. We won't say a word to a patient who uses his own cellular phone on Shabbat. But everything that is financed by the Tzibur, everything that is a Shirut Tziburi, like the pay phones, were disconnected. So I answered the Minister of Health and told him to Tzaban that we keep a special atmosphere that any emergency call, or even if a patient wants to inform his or her family how he is feeling, he can go to the nursing station, the Shabbos guy is sitting there, and he will contact his family, and for the sake of Avirat Shabbat, and Himanut mi Avirat Chulin, Besharet Tzedek would disconnect the phones, and it passed. All in all, if you take the patient population of Sharet Tzedek, at least 25% of them are not Shomrei Shabbat. It's actually a reflection of the cultural distribution and the Ashkafa distribution of the people of Jerusalem. Roughly speaking, 25% ultra-Orthodox, 25% modern Orthodox, 25% secular, and 25% Arabs. That's the patient population. I believe, by the way, it's the same patient population in Hadassah. The only exception in Sharei Tzedek is the delivery room. Because in the living room you find those who deliver. And there are those who do it every year. And there are those who do it twice in their lifetime. So we are very popular with the Haredi community in our delivery room. And there 70% of our patients come from the ultra-Orthodox community. In the rest of the hospital it's around 25%. So one, would assume, one would assume that the secular population will really revolt like Yair Tzaban, like in the Knesset. They will not like the atmosphere of tranquility on Shabbat <coughs> along the corridors of the hospital. Everybody can hear at Kol Arinava Tfilah that come from the shul, which is very sh- loud and overpacked on Shabbat. But I can tell you that the opposite is true. People appreciate it. I get letters. And once a year, and with this I will leave the issue of Shabbat and go on to the third aspect. Once a year, there is a, a custom, a minhag in Sharet Tzedek, since its inception in Tafrei Samech Bet. That in Erev Yom Kippur, today we start Erev 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 Yom Kippur, because we have to see 1,000 patients. The rabbi of the hospital, together with the director of the hospital, go from department to department individual patients, devote a couple of minutes to each, pa- to each patient, except the 25% who are not Bnei Brit. In every department they are escorted by the head of the department to discuss the fast. 
to discuss whether this specific patient with this specific medical problem can fast on Yom Kippur? Is he not allowed to fast? Can he fast partially? I can tell you I have many fascinating, positive, emotional experiences through the year in my capacity as director of the hospital. But one of the highlights is this Arab Yom Kippur tour of the hospital together with the rabbi and the heads of the departments. Let's start with the heads of the departments. We have at Shari Tzedek 82 heads of departments and units. 55% of them are not Shomrei Shabbat. If you give priority in selecting a head of department to a Shomer Shabbat, you doom the hospital to mediocrity. Not because Shomrei Shabbat are inferior physicians, but your reservoir out of which to select those who are going to lead the medical team of the hospital. And I always say, if you put as chairman of surgery someone who is a mensch, five traits I expect in a head of department in this order of importance, decreasing order, although they are very close to each other. To be a mensch, to have managerial skill, to be very prominent in his discipline, surgery in this case, to be a teacher, a good teacher to train the next generation, medical students and nurses, and to be a top researcher. Someone gets 10 out of 10 in all these, but these are only angels. A head of a hospital can just go to sleep. Because after such a person, even if he is not top in everything, but as close as possible, he will collect around himself the best senior physicians, the best residents, the best nurses, and he will run a very efficient department. So in the tender process, when we select a head of department, Chavishat Kippah is not a factor. So I'm going back to this Erev Yom Kippur tour of the hospital, where the head of the department, 55% of the time, not religious, maybe not fasting in Yom Kippur, escorts the rabbi and myself with his head nails that holds in her hand the list. The list is the list of the names of the patient, and then the columns are Tzom Maleh, Achila L'Shiurim, Shtiya L'Shiurim, or Asur Lo Latsum Bichlar. He cannot fast. And this dialogue with the patient is a fascinating dialogue. One of the mitzvot that is kept by close to 100% of the people of Israel is fasting on Yom Kippur. And you should see secular people who never put on tefillin and never went to shul arguing with us that they should fast. And how they appreciate the fact that few minutes are invested in this dialogue by this group of people. A senior physician, a head of department, the chief nurse, the rabbi, and the head of the hospital. So this is a minhag that Dr. Valach, the first director general, enacted when there were 20 beds at Sharetzele. So it probably took him half an hour to go through it. We are not so long after Yom Kippur now, and I can tell you that I spent three days from morning to the evening to look at close to 1,000 patients and discuss with them the fast of Yom Kippur. So this is another cultural issue of the hospital being run according to Alaha. By the way, the easiest patients to decide about are the Yoldot, and they are usually 150 out of the 1,000, because there is a formula there of 72 hours, 
if she gave birth less than 72 hours before the fast starts, she is committed to it, according to Allah in Yom Kippur. So there we activate a formula, but we speak to the patient, which is very important. So I just wanted to shed light on the implications of Shabbat at Sharet Tzedek with few halachic issues, many social issues, and mainly bring to your attention that although the other major hospital in Jerusalem, Hadassah, <coughs> does not have that, and they have food of the Rabbanut, and the Irgunei Chesed bring food for Shabbat with a better Heksher, and there are no provisions for Shabbat, the non-religious population appreciate it and do not protest at all. The third issue where there are implications of Shari Tzedek being a hospital that is run according to Halakha is a very interesting one and I do not have to elaborate it although usually when I give this talk this is the longest one but this is the issue that was dealt with all through the morning. And again Modern medicine brings to our doorsteps ethical dilemmas that Chazal, that our sages did not dream of. Some of them were dealt in the panel, dealt with in the panel this morning. Who could think of in vitro fertilization? The first in vitro fertilization baby was created, not born, in 1978 and born in 1979. Since then, five million, this was official statistics of this week, five million babies were born out of in vitro fertilization. When I went to medical school 40 years ago, infertility was a major problem. We divided it into endocrine infertility and mechanical infertility. Endocrine, well, there were problems with the hormones and we didn't know how to solve them at that time. And mechanical, when the fallopian tubes where the egg, the ovum, has to pass from the ovary through the fallopian tube in order to meet the sperm, fallopian tubes were with adhesions because of prior infection, acute appendicitis, or so on. So what was the recommendation 40 years ago? It was to do surgery, surgery called tuboplastica, tuboplasty, just to open these adhesions. Usually they got adhesed back within weeks, so the patient had to become pregnant immediately. 10% success rate. Today, all problems of infertility are solved. Today, an infertile person would be someone who, if the male part does not produce at all spermatozoa, spermatic cells, or if God forbids, the female parts do not ovulate at all, not ovulate, do not produce in her ovary the eggs. It was constricted. And that's because of assisted reproductive technique first and foremost in vitro fertilization and there are diversions. Now, the ethical dilemmas, you heard only a few of them today. Then these ethical dilemmas are true in every religion and in secular medical practice. Medical practice by secular people, by atheists, they will still have these dilemmas of surrogacy, of who is the mother, and this is only one example. If you go through the cycle of life, even before IVF, stem cell research. Stem cell research is an ethical issue. You know it because George W. Bush banned all federal support of 
stem cell research. Why? Because the main source of stem cell for research are fertilized embryos that were not implanted in the womb. I discussed it when we talked about PGD. We said that we are selecting the healthy embryos. What do we do with the sick embryos? Those who were affected with genetic disease. We can either throw it away, and I was present in Rabbi Eliashiv's room when he gave us the header to do it, or you establish a stem cell research laboratory. It needed halachic medical research in order to give this header in order to say that yes, you can take these embryos and I can tell you that in Shari Tzedek we have one of the most advanced stem cell laboratories again, for those of you who don't know stem cell is a primitive cell is a cell that did not develop yet into a specific organ or tissue so a kidney tissue or a liver tissue or a brain cell so it has the potential to develop and stem cell research today raises hopes that I hope will be materialized, I'm not sure, to cure as we advance with stem cell research most of the chronic degenerative debilitating diseases of our time, including Parkinson and Alzheimer. So stem cell research is extremely important. But the best source of stem cells are fertilized embryos. And George W., a Christian, as I said, in the panel this morning who believes that life starts when the sperm meets the egg would not allow that and in Shara Tzedek what seems to be a paradox coming from a psyche where sanctity of life is one of the most sacred things but an embryo less than 40 days old you can generate stem, cell, stem cells from and do research on it and in our stem cell laboratory, we take advantage of the fact that we have one of the largest PGD laboratories in the world, and we take all the embryos that are sick with a certain disease, with a genetic disease. And those that we do not implant, I'm sorry, in the womb, and we do stem cell research on them. So here you can see ethical dilemmas that have allergic implications, in vitro fertilization, surrogacy, stem cell research where Sharei Sedek through Schlesinger Institute which is one uh, of the leading uh, institutes on ethics and halakha ethical ethics and halakha supplies the solutions all over the world and I only touched at the beginning of life the same applies to organs for transplantation which I discussed this morning and you go priorities in admission to an intensive care unit. No hospital in the world can admit to its intensive care units every patient that can benefit from it. So you have to prioritize, you have to triage. And there are halachic rules as to do it. And dochim nefesh mipnei nefesh. Sometimes you have a dilemma. The bed in the ICU is taken by a patient, 8 years old, with many debilitating diseases that was admitted yesterday with severe pneumonia and today you have a new patient, young, with much better chance would you take out the elderly patient? The answer is absolutely no, but this is the Jewish answer and it's the duty of the head of the hospital to find alternatives, including sometimes transferring the younger patient to another hospital 
and then the approach to end of life which we did not have time to discuss at the panel this morning which became in our era where modern medicine learned how to prolong life where longevity is something similar to what it was for people who were born 70 or 80 years ago but we didn't learn how to see to it that this life would be life of quality so when do you say stop and again I discussed it and you can see that Israel tried to solve these problems through laws that you cannot find in any other country in the world like the brain cardiac death law that I described this morning and you can see also that Sharet Tzedek as a hospital that is run according to Allah plays a very central role this committee of 59 set in Sharet Tzedek the leading people in Israel on Jewish medical ethics a term coined by Rabbi Lord Jakobovich Jewish medical ethics and the journal of Jewish medical ethics is edited and published by Sharet Tzedek's Machon Schlesinger Professor Abraham Steinberg, Dr. Mordechai Alperin are two world-renowned leading medical ethicists. So, I tried in the last 45 minutes really to tell you about what does it mean that Sharet Tzedek is a hospital that is run according to Allah. And I take great pride in the fact that we serve as a living proof that every breakthrough in medicine can be practiced according to Allah after the proper Allah medical ethical research but from the three aspects that I told you although each one of them has its picanteria, its picantic issues from the Heksher to the Shabbos in Sharet Tzedek we are especially proud of the fact that these ethical dilemmas that every medical personnel in the world copes with are solved at Sharet Tzedek for our nation, for Israel and for the world because it is a hospital that is run according to Allah and because 40 years ago members of the board decided to establish the, establish the Schlesinger Institute named after Dr. Falk Schlesinger who ran the hospital from 1948 to 1968 and this became a Merkaz to all the world on how to solve the ethical dilemmas of modern medicine in a Jewish spirit. Thank you very much for your attention. <laughs> we have time for questions or no? Yeah, we okay. Please. You were wonderful this morning. You were even greater now. Thank you. Absolutely fascinating. Thanks. I, I hesitate to ask this question. I don't want to get Sharitanic into trouble or you into trouble. How do you deal with abortion? Well, we mentioned it in the panel this morning. The law in Israel, the law, it's the state law, says, the law in Israel says that a woman is entitled, free of charge by the way, to termination of pregnancy if a committee, and every hospital in Israel has a committee, decides that the prognosis of the embryo is very poor, like anencephalus, or if the continuation of pregnancy puts the mother in danger. Hospitals differ in the way they interpret this law. Probably in Tel Aviv, if a woman, and I said it this morning, maybe you were not there, so I'll repeat it very, very briefly. Probably in the Tel Aviv area, if a woman will come 
with a document from a psychologist. She's a married woman and she has a third or fourth child, but it's undesired, unplanned child. And she's pregnant, early pregnancy, early, not late, the first trimester, and the psychologist will sign that she's depressed because of the pregnancy. They will terminate the pregnancy. We won't do it at Charitzel. We just interpret the law as the Jew, the Halakha teaches us. What? No, but the rabbi of the hospital sits. Rabbi Peleg, Moshe Chaim Peleg. Yeah. Okay, please. Um, question um, When you describe that um, that a majority of the people working in the hospital are not Shomer Shabbos, I think you said 55%. I didn't say majority of the workers, majority of the heads of departments. Most of our nurses are Shomer Shabbos. So, so I'm wondering, in a way, you know, for people who are religious, many times we know when to ask a question. Assuming that it's maybe for people who are not religious, they don't necessarily know. So one of the questions would be to address that. How do people know even to ask the question? And maybe an extension of that is that from a legal standpoint, if I look at the American counterpart of, let's say, HIPAA and violations of confidentiality, they happen regularly. And so hospitals have some sort of mechanism in place for what do you do when somebody does, in respect, have broken the laws of confidentiality, and I'm wondering, in this way, not only do you, how, do, how do people know to ask questions, but what happens if they didn't ask the questions and do things in retrospect, and what, do you, what kind of mechanism is in place after that? Every employee of the hospital, when he comes in as part of the orientation, he gets a full day, where I open the day with 45 minutes of orientation, where part of this lecture is being delivered, among other um, professionals that appear before every employee, it could be a cleaner, it could be an Arab cleaner, okay, uh, we'll hear a lecture from the rabbi, from the chief of medicine, and we tell them about the regulations of the hospital. Are they kept to the maximum? I'm not sure. Most of these people cannot ask the right questions, but they very quickly absorb the special atmosphere of the hospital, and there is a peer pressure, and most of our nurses are Shamrot Shabbat and the nurses are those who keep the rules more than everybody else and they will tell a new physician who is Ben Brit, if he is an Arab he can do what he wants uh, that this is not allowed do we take disciplinary actions? we usually not we prefer Hasbara we prefer to talk to people we prefer to deliver the message you will be surprised how few outliers of the rules are there People immediately, and Charit Tzedek, we told you subjectivity is considered a place that people like to come to work to, whether they are Shomrei Shabbat or not. Please, and then over. Uh, this is probably a simple question, but how does the hospital deal with uh, Kohanim who either want to visit patients or, you know, their wives are going to delivery and there are questions about how to isolate them from potential Tumat Meitin, where it's Jews, so clearly the question is Tumat Ohel. No, we, uh, we deliberate a lot about that and we kept the old rule that the minute there is a cadaver in the hospital, the same minute, I mean it's automatic from the department, the switchboard knows about it and the switchboard tells all the entrances of the hospital to put a sign outside, Azhara le Kohanim, we have a special sukkah for them so they will not stand in the rain, we try to evacuate the dead as quickly as possible and this is our method. If a coin is inside the hospital, 
and he doesn't know about it, our ruling is you don't have to do. I mean, you don't have to declare in the loudspeakers there is a cadaver run out. But we put Azara Lekoanim at the entrance to the hospital. And it works wonderfully, so much so that I used to have a board member, I'm kidding now, who was a Kohen, and when I didn't want him on a board meeting, we put Azara Lekoanim. <laughs> but this is only a, this is, this is only a joke. No, you don't need it if that's the matter. If every Kohen is prevented from entering the hospital once there is a cadaver, you don't need it. Yes. I remember from years past when Chastain was smaller, Yeah, that's very interesting. Mr. Strauss, who asked the question, was when I came on board, he was one of the moving figures in Shari Tzedek American Committee, uh, and I'm glad that you are here, and uh, I'm glad that you are back. Uh, and the answer to your question is, it's a very complex problem, especially take this year, where we had two days of Rosh Hashanah and then Shabbat, you Americans in the Galus are used to it, but we <laughs> continuous three days in Israel do not happen every year. Uh, it's a major logistic problem. We have at any one time 150 mothers who gave birth in the last 48 hours. Definitely you take cesarean sections so they stay for 96 hours. If you combine the cesarean, we, we, we have to provide for 150. It's a major logistic problem. We would not send home anybody who is not ripe to go home because her baby is not, go, is not okay or because she does not want to go home. And we use the departments that are usually have very low occupancy rates because they do mainly elective surgery, like plastic surgery, like urology, where acute cases are very rare and if they can only be home for these three days, they go home and we use the nurses of these departments and that's where the, we put the overflow of mothers giving birth during prolonged holidays. This, this remains to be proven. I mean, I haven't seen any literature on that, that there is any chance, any difference. In there is one difference: you don't do elective cesarean section. There is certain number of women where their delivery is planned, and it's not insignificant. You don't do that on the holidays. But yeah, we use the both these departments: urology and plastic surgery, and they supply the demand. Any other questions, please? Give me an example. What, what will he sue us for? I've never been sued. I mean, you raise the option. Just think about what we smoke here. Where can we be sued? On what? On what? What's the issue? What's the claim? Give me an example where acting according to halakha is against the medical standard. All my lecture was devoted to prove that this is not true. So there hasn't been a case. And I, I invite you to make up a case. Yes. Uh, let's say a 
surgery. If you can raise so your voice. Yes. You're a physician? No. No. Because I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I asked if you're a physician because I wanted to know if to speak in medical terms. Because it all depends on the definition of elective. An 82-year-old lady who breaks her hip Friday afternoon and she's not on anticoagulants because if she's on anticoagulants she cannot be operated in the next 48 to 72 hours. Would you consider that elective or emergency or what? It's not the regular emergency where a patient is bleeding and there is no question about Shabbat. Okay? Well, it's not considered emergency in the medical world. And it is, I can prove it by the fact that in all Western countries, one of the quality criteria to assess the quality of the hospital is what percentage of those who came with hip fracture were operated on in the next in the first 48 hours after admission assuming that we take only the population that had no contraindication for surgery so this is called semi-elective and it's a question and the answer is very simple if the medical literature shows that a delay of 24 hours in operating statistically makes the prognosis worse even 5% I think that every POSEC will tell you to operate on them on Shabbat. And that's the evidence in the literature. So, but to do, um, you know, ear operation on a baby with recovery, we definitely do. Purely elective surgical procedures are absolutely not done on the Sabbath. By the way, in no hospital in Israel, because the salaries are so high, you pay 250% to all the staff, and it's not worth it. Can I ask you a question? Would you say that the halakha has contributed significantly to the level of the discussion in uh, medical ethics generally? Well, I believe... The other point of view, in other words, taking it to the other side, that not only is halakha not a hindrance, but the concepts of halakha through physicians have written on bioethics have really advanced the discussion. I think the answer is definitely affirmative. I went few times with Professor Abraham Steinberg, who is really, he's an Israel Prize laureate on his book, on uh, his monograph, monographic encyclopedia, a colossal work, uh, except that the Dayanim sit with it on the, in their lap when they have to deal with medical, halachic, ethical issues. I traveled with him sometimes abroad to medical conferences, and you could see, and that's in answering your question, how the suggestion, and he's a terrific speaker, how the solutions that he come with really are acceptable to physicians who definitely have to do with ethics, because as I said, every physician, but totally non-religious or atheist. So I think that there is an element of Kiddush Hashem as well, and definitely a contribution to elevate the whole discussion of medical ethics, the contribution of Jewish medical ethics. Please. Um, my question is a little bit speculative and hypothetical. Um, it has to do with the culture of each individual hospital. Here in Brooklyn, my personal experiences with my minorities is that it has certain departments that are paternalistic. Say it again? There are certain departments that are paternalistic. In other words, that's the attitude. 
that whatever is contained within the walls of the hospital is what's offered to the patient. But when they are in need of something which is beyond the scope of the services or the facilities of the hospital, they do not promote the patient to another hospital, send them off for transfer. I'm just wondering if you encounter such situations in your hospital. To transfer patients because of an halachic problem? No, because of technical issues, medical Such as? Necessity. For a procedure which is not offered but which may be of benefit because it has it fits a certain criteria for this. It's happening all the time on both directions. Hadassah transfers to us, we transfer to Hadassah. Hadassah cannot do a dialysis to a child. We have the largest child dialysis pediatric in the country. We do not do complex neurosurgical procedures. We'll send it to Hadassah. This is a, a daily matter on both, both directions. Okay. Well, the rabbi is working full time, he has a position, I don't think we need him 24-7, but I can tell you that any member of the staff who is facing on an acute basis a dilemma that he or she has can call the rabbi and consult with him. What? Oh, there are three assistant rabbis in the hospital. It's a, it's a large department. Okay, thank you very much for your attention. If everyone can head downstairs where we ate lunch, we'll have some closing remarks.